재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 And we're doing something a little bit special this week. We're commemorating the year 1990, 27 years ago, which is when TBS first went on the air. And we're applying that little theme to Korea on screen, our weekly talk about movies and cinema, taking a little trip back in the time machine with the help of Korean film commentator Won Suk Chin. Hi, Won Suk. Hi. Thank you for having me. Again. Now, you and I are uh, both so young, we barely remember 1990, right? Oh, yeah. Right? I think I was a toddler. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We are bad liars as well. Um, but yeah, uh, it was a while back, no matter how you slice it. I mean, uh, 27 years ago is a good chunk of time. Um, how shall we frame the, 90, the year 1990 in terms of movies and cinema? What's the basic gist that I need to understand? Well, 1990, let's see. Uh, that's the year, actually, I wasn't in Korea. I had already left for the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wasn't really, um, I didn't know what was really going on here, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the sort of the overall, uh, the type of movies which were being made. Of I was, of course, interested in what was being made. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a way back when Korean movies weren't necessarily hot, sort of the hot items that people talk about now. Like, you know, we're talking about the, the renaissance or the birth of Korean cinema. Well, more like a sort of a new wave, you know. That's like late 90s and early 2000s. Um, but this is, um, you know, some good Korean movies were, are coming out. And um, and this is at the time when uh, the, the sort of so-called the Chebos are now Uh, who are pretty much running the, the studios in Korea, you know, they want around. You know, you know once a, it's interesting you mentioned that. We've got a little footnote to our conversation just last week. We talked about Okja, this big film that's being uh, produced. It's an American film, but it's Bong Joon-ho, right? The mm-hmm. director being uh, produced and financially backed by the gigantic streaming service that everybody knows about. Mm-hmm. And uh, over these intervening days... All the big Chebol cinema distributors have said, we're not going to carry it in our, in our venues. We're not going to carry Okja because it, uh, I think the, the wording was, it violates the ecosystem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, sorry, I have to laugh, but. <laughs> when we look back at 1990, This is sort of when the ecosystem was taking root of how movies get distributed. So what's interesting, uh, you know, about this sort of the, the big exhibitors in Korea, multiplexes, uh, boycotting the Korean, uh, the, this uh, film by Bong Joon-ho. But now you can't see it uh, in a movie theater because they are not carrying it. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, what happened in Korea back in 1988. We had a kind of similar uh, situation where, uh, so we're going to time travel back to 1988. Mm-hmm. This is the time when, of course, Korea had the, held the Olympics. Uh, this is when we are going through sort of a modernization in terms of a uh, Korean movie industry. Um, before 1988, uh, we had a very kind of protective system. Mm-hmm. Only 24 foreign films can be shown in Korea every year. And uh, those 24 films, uh, Korean production company, Uh, can only buy them and release them in Korea. Mm. So, you know, like it, back then what happened was that you're a Korean producer, uh, you make four films, four Korean films, then you get to buy a foreign film. Typically, foreign film does well. I and mean, this is uh, before the multiplexes and uh, you play one movie in one big theater in, 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 in downtown Seoul yeah. and then you play for like two months and you make a lot of money. So This is a quota system. Other countries have had this similar system as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. But in 88, what happened was that the government um, allowed these foreign studios, uh, we're talking about Hollywood studios, to open their 
offices in Korea and to release uh, their movies directly uh, an infinite number of uh, movies. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, so they're competing right on the same playing field as the local producers. Mm-hmm. So, so when that happened, of course, you know, this was, we're talking about this disruption, you know, this was a big threat to the Korean local uh, filmmakers, you know, because uh, even though we're making Korean language films, uh, you know, people were making money from these foreign films they were buying. And now uh, they have to compete with the Hollywood studios. So they were like really, really scared. Oh, my God, this is going to, you know, now we're going to be starving to death. Talk about shrimp among whales, right? <laughs> they must have felt completely outgunned. Yeah. So, so uh and uh, so there was a huge resistance, a uh, lot of uh, protest, and local theaters, the first-run theaters, also all kind of uh, you know came out in you know solidarity, and they said, okay, we're not going to carry these uh, studio movies. Uh, we're not, you know, we're boycotting them, just like right now, mm. a, a Hollywood movie called The Fatal Attraction. Do you remember the film? I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Glenn Close, uh, kind of a signature role. She's oh, the, um, yes. She was rather a- clingy girlfriend, <laughs> I think we can call her, yeah. Yes, and uh, it was a thriller from uh, 1987, I believe, or 88. You know, Michael Douglas was mm-hmm. in it. You know, I mean, I hadn't visited the film since then, but, um, you know, of course, it's, it got a lot of criticism for it. It's a portraying of, portrayal of a, a woman uh, in the film. But anyhow, this film... Uh, was the first uh, studio film that was released uh, by studio in Korea. But they couldn't, uh, again, you know, these big theaters in Korea, you know, refused to carry this movie. So they uh, uh, opened the film in smaller sort of a kind of a movie theaters, like the second run theaters. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, still like the audience, you know, they wanted to go see it because it stars uh, Michael, Doug- Michael Douglas and it's an entertaining film. And... So, the, like I said, the resistance was so fierce that uh, one uh, f- certain filmmaker in Korea, he was so mad that he actually released a snake into <laughs> one of the theaters. <laughs> <laughs> Creating like was, so the screening was, uh, you know, interrupted because uh-huh. there was a snake. In yeah. the movie theater, so An people were like, snake. "Yes, a biting, perhaps venomous snake." I, I know what kind of snake he, he released. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I think any kind of snake. You're going to hedge your bets and get out of that movie theater if I saw one crawling around my uh, my feet. Yes, yeah, so so this is like a legendary stuff uh, from uh, of Korean film history, you know. So so of course he got arrested, and he was, uh, you know, later uh, it became huge news, and then uh, you know. He sort of made the statement that way, but uh, you know, of course, of course, you don't want to scare the movie-going audience, mm-hmm. you know. So, Fatal Attraction back then, Okja today. It will be interesting to see if uh, history repeats itself and the little indie cinemas all end up picking up Okja uh, because there is this consumer demand to see it, and a lot of people want to see it with other people in a big house, not in you know, in front of their television. The- even though it was uh, commissioned by a streaming site, you know, Okja, you know, is meant to be seen on the big screen. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, uh, you know, that more than just a few uh, theater screens uh, will pick it, pick it up so that people have an option to see it on the big screen. So, so when we go to, to, to 1990 in terms of the artistic environment, two years earlier, there was this giant market disruption where the big boys from Hollywood can now come to Korea and compete head to head with the domestic producers. What did that mean in terms of... Of uh, artistry or in terms of direction of the film? 
So back then, um, it was a big threat and it was disruption. Um, but I think in retrospect, it was a good thing hmm. uh, to happen to the Korean film industry. Because what it, what it meant is that uh, filmmakers now had to make competitive films uh, to survive. You know, rather than relying on the, you know, oh, you make some Korean movies and then the, the producer can release these uh, foreign films and, you know, whatnot. You know, now... We have to make movies which which can compete with these big studio movies. So you have to be, even though we're not as well um, funded, you know, these uh, smaller movies, you know, you got to be more creative. And, uh, you know, people in, in terms of competition, they, they, they excel, you know. Mm. So I think that's what happens. So, and then, you know, of course, the true renaissance of Korean cinema, you know, wouldn't begin, you know, for another decade. Like I said, in the late 90s and early 2000s, that's when really Korean cinema blossomed. But this is when the sort of the, uh, the, the plant, seeds, are planted. seeds were yeah. planted, you know. Uh, and in 1990, a strong Korean film. So, so I'm going to talk about uh, maybe three of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great. Uh, these movies, uh, people still talk about them. So the first movie I want to talk about uh, from 1990, it's a film called General Sun. Or the Korean title is Changgune uh, Adel. Okay. Uh, it's a film directed by uh, Im Gwon Tech. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard of... Uh, Huge name. Yeah. Yes. Legendary he's a, name. He's a legend, almost. yeah. He's uh, probably like the kind of... Uh, uh, the Korean uh, Clint Eastwood or Korean Martin Scorsese in the sense that he is this uh, legend, but he's mm-hmm. still active. Uh, and uh, he's made over 100 movies. Wow. Uh, and uh, this is a movie uh, that he made in 1990, uh, you know, based on the true story of a Kim Doo-han. He's a, like a legendary uh, street gangster, you oh, know, really? who finds out it's, it's a true, uh, it's a real life uh, character who finds out that he's the son of a general Kim Ja Jin, uh, who fought against the Japanese army. So he battles against the sort of the Japanese uh, crime organization to protect the uh, the Korean vendors of a downtown Seoul. You know, this uh, story takes place during the Japanese occupation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very entertaining film. And, uh, you know, Im Gwon Tech, uh, was, like I said, uh, was, uh, already kind of established filmmaker, but he was better known for these artistic films, like the uh, films which would go to, uh, movie, in, like uh, festivals around the world. Uh, one of his films, uh, Surrogate won uh, the Best Actress Award at Venice Film Festival in 1987. So he was, back then, he was like the Park Chanuk or, or the Bong Juno of, of his day. The big AAA, uh, class director of his time yes but like i said he was known for doing this uh, sort of artistic films uh you know more sort of mature films uh this was uh however an entertaining film like he wanted to prove to the world that you know hey i can make a commercial entertaining film yeah. so, i love the street thug who loves his country kind of angle on this you yes know? yes doing crime and uh, living in the underworld but fighting for a good cause fighting for uh fighting the japanese and and all of that uh it sounds really interesting to see do we have a couple of other films that we can hit real briefly uh sure yes uh there's another film called a nambugun the, I guess the, the translation will be uh, more like the North Korea's partisan for the South Army or something. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, this is, uh, has been rated as uh, one of the best uh, war movies uh, coming out of Korea. Really? Yes. Uh, and, and it's unusual sort of in, in, uh, in terms of like, telling the story from North Korea's point of view hmm. rather than South. Uh, you know, until this point, uh, uh, Korean war movies, you know, have been, uh, 
you know, very, you know, explicitly anti-communist. Naturally. Or propaganda. Sure. Uh, but, you know, because of this subject matter, uh, you know, it was, uh, this film wasn't like that, you know. The, and this the, predates all of that JSA stuff. And, oh, true, yes. Yeah, so um, kind of a, a, a real icebreaker in terms of uh, providing a North Korean perspective. That's true. And because of that, uh, it was also the first film uh, which didn't get any support from the Ministry of Defense. <laughs> okay. So, so I heard that um, you know because you can get and before you know back then you know the prop department you know didn't really have much budget you know anything so okay all the guns uh, in the film were all like these wooden mock-ups. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're the- making a good patriotic sort of you know South Korea approved film, maybe you can lean on the Ministry of Defense for some <laughs> extra armaments and things like that for your for props, right? Yes, yes. In this case, you got to make models. <laughs> and but you know it was a critically acclaimed and uh, commercially successful. Uh, this film starred uh, An Sung-gi uh, and the late Choi Jin-sil and Choi Min-su. Hmm. And it's definitely considered to be one of the best Korean uh, war movies uh, uh, ever. So we've got a violent thug movie and a war movie. I mean, are these all just hard-hitting, pipe-swinging movies that we see coming out in the 90s? Not true, not true. We have this lovely, lovely uh, romantic comedy that, uh, you know, people still love. Uh, uh, a movie called My Love, My Bride. Okay. Uh, this is a film by Lee myung and it actually was remade uh, in 2014, uh, a, w- a movie with Shin min and uh, Jo Jong-seok. Korean but, title? Uh, Nai Sarang Nai Shinbu. Okay. It's a uh, direct, know, direct translation. translation. Yes. My Love, My Bride. Uh, this film uh, stars uh, Park Chung-hun, uh, a legendary Korean actor, and the late Choi Jin-sil. And uh, this is a really cute movie about uh, a man who works for a publishing company after his graduate, you know, graduation uh, uh, from college. And, uh, you know, he becomes, uh, he, you know, dreams of becoming a writer someday. And he marries his uh, college in a sweetheart, uh, Mi Young, and believing their love will be like everlasting. You know, they have this really cute uh, sort of uh, love together, but mm. you know, in every relationship, you know, there's there's some ups and you know, there are ups and downs, and the movie is about you know them dealing with the, the reality of a relationship. But at the same time, it is not a cynical movie or anything. It is a very very uh, it's a love lifting movie about this um, you know couple overcoming the obstacles. Oh wow, I ought to watch it. I'd like to show it to our uh, global family couples that we have on <laughs> Wednesday. We have a couple of international. Couples couples we could have a lot of talking points out of that Mm -hmm. so a romantic movie um and um a successful movie as well oh yes it was hugely successful and also it was visually very you know interesting it wasn't uh your like just a uh you know typical uh, romantic comedy it has some uh, very uh, has a visual sense sensibility, uh, which for which the director Im Young Se was known for. Later on, he uh, uh, went on to direct a film called Nowhere to Hide, mm. uh, which is considered to be one of the seminal Korean uh, uh, thrillers. Um, but uh, yeah, this this film. Um, you know, was an inspiration for a lot of uh, filmmakers uh, who were making these uh, romantic comedies in the 90s. And uh, there were a lot of imitators. Uh, and But, you know, there's nothing like these original. The originals. Uh, yes. That's our snapshot of 1990 in the movie world. Won Suk Jin, thanks very much for coming in. Thank you. And we're back to continue our look at the world of 1990 when Koreascape returns right after this.